Well, good morning, everyone. It's my privilege to greet you and welcome you to Mount Perrin North Canton campus. My name is Mark Walker. I'm the senior pastor of Mount Perrin North Marietta and Mount Perrin North Canton campus. It's good to be back with you. I haven't been with you for several weeks now. It's good to be back home at Sequoia High School. I haven't been here since we've come back, so it's good to be back home. And uh, it's my pleasure to be with you today. If you happen to have a Bible, I encourage you to take it and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is in the New Testament. It's right between the books of Philippians and Galatians. If perhaps you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to bring a Bible. You can bring it on any kind of electronic device. I wouldn't recommend bringing your entire computer center from your home in here. However, whatever kind of device you might have the Bible on, or if you just have the old-fashioned leather-bound Bible, we encourage you to bring them so you can follow along, you can underline, you can jot down some thoughts and, and some ideas as we go along here that over throughout the week you might can go back and just sort of take a look at that and have an even a greater enriching experience throughout the week. The scripture will be on the screen, so you will not be lost here this morning. As has already been mentioned by our campus pastor, Jeremy Isaacs, we're concluding today the series we began a couple of weeks ago here, as well as at the Marietta campus, entitled One. We have been looking at Ephesians 4 and the Apostle Paul talking about what it means for a church to be in community and together live out the Christ-like character of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we want to conclude that by taking a look at this idea of maturity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here, the opportunity to engage your presence. And we do feel such a great sense of you here this morning, God, and we thank you for that. We thank you that you don't leave us alone. We thank you, God, that you're as close to us as our hands and our feet. You're as near to us as our next breath. And God, I pray that that now in these next few moments we engage you, we learn of you. Help me, Father, to really share what you want shared here this morning. May it truly communicate you to each and every one of us. Father, now just open up your word. May it speak to our hearts for one purpose, your praise and your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a kid growing up, uh, we as a family pretty much ate breakfast together every single morning. And this particular morning, I was about, oh, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old. And my brother and I were there. We were dressed and ready to go to school. My dad was there in his shirt and tie. And and, uh, he was getting ready to go to the work. And those of you that may not know who my father is, my father pastored Mount Perrin Ministries for some 37 years. And this is back in the day when he was a senior pastor. And my mom was dressed in sort of a sleeveless house dress and we're sitting there at the, at the breakfast table just chit-chatting. And my dad got a little frisky. And he reaches over to my mother. And you know that delicate sort of soft part of your arm right here? He just starts slapping it like that. And my mom says, Paul, stop. Well, my dad wouldn't stop. And he kept slapping and said, what's wrong, honey? Can't you handle it? And she said, Paul, stop. And he'd get tickled. And we'd get tickled. And he'd reach over. And he'd start slapping her. Finally, he said, said, Paul, you do it again. Something bad's going to happen to you. Well, that's like saying sick him to a hound dog to my dad. He's always got to push the envelope. So he reaches over and starts slapping her again. And my mom took a full glass of orange juice and dumped it on his head. I mean, down his head, onto his tie and his, his coat and his shirt. Brand new suit, brand new tie and, and shirt. And he jumps up, Parmelina, what are you doing? And Scott, you ruined my suit. And I've got appointments. I've got to go take another shot. I mean, it was all in his hair. It was awesome, baby. It was great. Oh, that was when I knew God was real and Jesus was Lord and angels sang and it was a spiritual experience for me. It's 11 or 12 year old. And yeah, perhaps it wasn't the most mature response that my mother had. 
But then again, it wasn't the most mature thing that my father was doing either. And when dealing with my dad, sometimes the immature response is the better response with him. But a fun-loving, immature, teasing exchange between a husband and wife at a breakfast table is one thing. But immature living in all of life is a whole other thing. When I am immature in my decision-making, my money-handling, my relationship-building... When a lack of maturity sort of governs how that works in my life, then I find major life issues in my life. And Paul, in this writing in chapter 4 of this letter he writes to the Ephesian church, deals with this idea of maturity. As he talks about this idea of the church operates in community together in its diversity. There's one main reason for that, and that is to bring everybody into Maturity. In fact, we're going to pick up at verse 11, where Paul is talking about some of the diversity of the leadership and the gifts of the people. And this is what he writes going through verse 13. It says it was he, he's talking about Jesus here, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. He's talking about the diversity here. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity of faith. And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He's saying the whole purpose of the body of Christ as a community in its diversity, working together for what thing? To become mature, attaining to the full measure of who Jesus Christ is. This word mature here, it comes from the Greek word telos, which which means complete Uh, It's the idea of having an aim, a direction, a goal, an objective. It's the idea of being fully developed. My, My son, your worship leader, just said a moment ago about maturity. It's not the idea of being flawless. It's not the idea of being sinless. But it's the idea that I am fully developed in the aim of being a a mature person. That that I'm adult in how I approach life as I should be as an adult in my and psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, even physically, that I am adult in that, that I can talk on my own. I can walk on my own. I can hold down a job. I'm responsible with money. I'm paying the bills. I'm responsible for myself. I can take care of others. I engage in adult conversation that I can allow people to talk about themselves while also being able to interject things about me, that I am able to have the social graces that it takes to be a good citizen for the betterment of society. What that means to be an adult fully Mature. Well, when we talk about it from the standpoint of the follower of Christ, there's an added dimension here. All those things we just talked about is a part of this maturity that Paul is talking about. But there's a new dimension, an added dimension when we're talking about it in the terms of being Christ followers. And that is this word also means it means an outcome of a new order. It's an outcome of a new order. All the things that we talked about in terms of what a mature person is are included in this. But there's an added dimension that I don't look to be a a, a mature adult just for the sake of a good society. But even beyond that, it's for the glory of Jesus Christ, that all of what it means to be mature is of the order, the new order of Jesus Christ. It is of the order of the kingdom of God. That everything that makes me mature is infused with the order of Jesus Christ, of his character 
and nature. Man, that's the added dimension of what it means to be the body of Christ, to be a follower of Christ. Now, Paul begins to lay out this maturity of a new order in three dimensions in the following verses. And we're going to look at these three very quickly. The first is a mature mind. He talks about the dimension of a mature mind with this maturity of the new order. In verse 14, this is what he says. He says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. Infant talking about immature and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. He talks about this mature mind that's not easily taken in. It's not easily taken advantage of. It's not easily fooled. It's not gullible. It's not easily falsely influenced. It's a mind that knows how to think for itself. A mind that is formed with the mind of Jesus Christ. It's not the idea of being cynical and skeptical where you trust no one or believe in nothing. But it's the idea of a mind of discernment. A mind that is, is wisdom. It's, it's, it's formed in Christ in such a way that I'm able to assess what is false and what is true. That I'm not chasing after every kind of, of fad or trend or, or, or spectacle or, or popular gimmick or gadget. But I'm able to discern with a mature mind what is that of God and what isn't. What is true and what is false. It's interesting. Paul talks about that we're not tossed in back and forth like immature infants. And he says, by the cunningness and the craftiness of men. The word cunning there is where we get the word cube from. And a cube, it's talking about dice. You know, we play games and we use dice. That's a cube. And the idea here is this cunning or this craftiness is the idea that this is it's loaded dice. Loaded dice are dice that con men use. And those dice are fixed in such a way they can roll it and they can get the numbers they want to win the game and con people out of their money. And Paul is sort of using this in imagery. And that immature thinking is when we are putting our money down in the hands of a con man who's rolling the loaded dice, constantly taking our money, but we don't get it. We don't figure it out. We aren't able to assess it and we just keep losing our money to the con man because we just keep in this immature thinking of them taking advantage of us. It's, it's, it's like an infant. You know, an infant, uh, you play that, that, that takeaway game, you know, where you dangle something in front of them, they go to get it and you pull it away from them and they laugh, but you put it back out there and they keep trying to get it. But a couple of weeks ago, Udella and I, my wife, we were able to uh, babysit our eight-month-old granddaughter, Kennedy. And Udella was playing with her that, that sort of that takeaway game. And I got, a, I got a video clip. It's only about 15 minutes long. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. No, seriously, it's, about a, it's, a, it's a little less than a minute. It's, it's really out of a 10-minute video that I've got about three hours of video of my granddaughter, the greatest girl in the world, I'm just telling you. But anyway, I want to show you. It's about a minute long. And it's, it's my wife playing this takeaway game with her. And she's sitting in my, my, my granddaughter sitting in my daughter's lap. And I just want you to watch her for a moment, especially at the end when she finally gets, my, my wife is dangling this toy chicken on this thing. It's got these little jingle things and just watch it. And especially when she gets it at the end, let's, let's see this. Here she comes. Here comes the chicken. Chicken, 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 chicken. Oh, mm. Here she is. 
god. Thank you for indulging me, but isn't she awesome? Did you notice what she did when she got it? She threw it down. Did you see her? There my wife was dangling this thing. And every time she put it in front of her, what was she doing? Trying to grab it. And it was always taken away from her. She never got it. She never understood that here we were, as cute as it was. And it's awful cute. It's cute for an eight-month-old, but not for a 28-year-old. It's adorable for an eight-month-old. And what in essence is she saying? She's saying, go ahead. Take advantage of me. Laugh at me. Use me. Let me entertain you at my expense. But she keeps reaching for it. And she finally gets it. And it's not even what she wanted. That's immature thinking. I'm constantly... Going after the stuff that I keep, it keeps letting me down, but I don't learn. I keep going after it. And how much longer do, are we going to keep being taken in by the thinking that says, if I just have enough stuff, if I just have enough money, if I just have enough of the right relationships, if I just have enough of the right image, if I just have enough of the right clothing, if I can just have enough people liking me, if I can just please enough people or control, how long are we going to let that thinking let us down? Because it always will. It's the dangling chicken that is jerked out of our hands. Paul. It's a hold of this idea of where we can really have this mature mind. In Philippians 4, 8 and 9, another letter that he writes. And I love the way it's worded in the message translation. He says this, summing it all up, my friends. I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. Look at this. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you've learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies. And what, what shapes our minds? Is it the true? Is it the noble? Is it the reputable? Is it the gracious Is it the pure and not the impure? Is it the beautiful and not the ugly? Is it things to praise and things not to curse? He says, look at me, what I put into practice. What was Paul's life? Paul's life was all about the character of Christ. Who are we looking at that model to us what it really means to follow Jesus Christ? Who is shaping our life in that way? What is our thinking? What shapes our minds? Paul says this maturity of a new order It's a mature mind, but he also says it's a mature mouth. He says it's a mature mouth. In verse 15, the first portion of it says, instead, speaking the truth in love. Man, there's a mature mouth right there. Mature talk is being able to blend truth and love together when we talk to folks. 
Usually we're way on the side of truth without a whole lot of love or we're way on the side of love without a whole lot of truth. Mature talk is being able to blend the two. I mean, there's some of us in this room, we have no problem telling people what we think, what we feel. It doesn't bother us one bit. We just blurt it out there carelessly, uncaringly. It doesn't matter how many people we have gutted. They're bleeding along the way. Hey, I said what I feel. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? That may be on the, a little bit more of the immature side. But then on the other side of the coin, there's those of us that are so afraid of what people think. So afraid of what they might feel. So afraid of what they might do. That we hold back the truth and really what needs to be said. And we just create this enabling, indulgent, kind of sticky, gooey, uh, really a substitute sacrifice of love. That really is just this, this, this immature, indulgent thing. Both. Are, are the immature side. Where we need to be is in that place of being able to put that blend of truth and love. Aristotle got a hold of the idea and he said it this way. He said, speaking the right truth to the right person at the right time for the right reason. And man, so much of my life is speaking the wrong truth to the wrong person in the wrong place for the wrong reason. I've been talking about my mother. I didn't know my mom was going to be here this morning, but she is. I was about 12 years old and my mom was telling me something. And I, you know, as a 12 year old, you think, you know, everything. And I finally looked at my mother and I said, mom, why don't you just shut up? Yeah, I, I, there's a, there's a empty gap between 12 and 16. I have no idea what happened in those four years of my life. Therapy has not been able to find those four years of my life. I'll tell you what my mom did. Number one, if you're in here and, and, and you're a minor and, and you're under the care of, an, of, of a parent, you do not tell them to shut up. Period. Secondly, if, if you do, you might get what I got and I got slapped across the face. Now listen, that was before a kid could call 911 on their parents. If I'd have called 911 and told them what I said and what she did, they'd have come and slapped me again is what they'd have done. The right thing at the right time to the right person in the right way. Paul said it this way. Talking about our speaking in mature talk. In verse 29 of that very same chapter of chapter 4. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. That word unwholesome is the word used for rotting fish or rotting fruit. What's the rotten stuff that tends to come out of our mouths? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Wow, let's get that in our minds for a moment. What if that was really our talk? If our talk was really to speak to need, to help someone with that and build them up in truth and love. Jesus Christ was the perfect example of what it means to speak with truth and love. You read throughout the Gospels, his life, and you see his talk. Man, it was this great mixture of truth and love. One of the great experiences, one of the great examples was when the people caught a woman in the midst of adultery. She was in the throes of adultery and they, and they grab her and they bring her to Jesus and they put her in front of Jesus and they say, look, the law says she's to be stoned. What do you say? Now, here's the deal. Jesus had been teaching about forgiving people. He had been teaching about loving your enemies. He had been teaching about doing good. And here they, they, they bring this woman in adultery. says, the law says to stone her. What are you going to do? Here's the number one thing. Number one, they weren't concerned about the law. They weren't concerned about that at all. 
They were trying to trick him. If they were concerned about the law, they wouldn't have just brought the woman. They'd have brought the man too, but the man's nowhere to be found. It was only about tricking him. And look at how Jesus speaks to this situation. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 7, this is what happens. This woman is before Christ and all the people are around. Here's what he says. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Truth. If you you don't have any sin in your life, you throw the first stone. That's truth. Then look at verse 8. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Verse 9. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. Look at this. The older ones first. The mature ones in their thinking because they got it. They understood the truth he was speaking. Hey, if we're going to start stoning people because of their sin, we all need to get in line. The mature ones got it. Then it goes on. Finally, until Jesus was the only one left with a woman standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Love. Verse 11. No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Love. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Truth. This amazing blend of truth and love. I heard it said, Don't ever let our truth be unloving and our love be untruthful. What are our words? How do we speak? What are we saying to the people that we say we love the most? Do they get the best of our words? Or do they tend to get the worst of our words? Paul says in this maturity of a new order, it's a mature mind, it's a mature mouth. But then finally, he says, it's a mature motive. It's a mature motive. He didn't say, I'm not saying motives here, motive. There's a singular motive for why we want to be mature. It's the latter part of verse 15. He says this, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. There's the motive for life. There's the motive that shapes every motive. There's the motive to shape my mind. There's the motive to shape my mouth. To grow up in Christ. To reflect who Jesus Christ is. That's the motive of all motives. Every motive that I'm to have is to come under that one motive. That one motive of growing up in Christ. Of reflecting who he is. When I'm thinking and my thoughts am I thinking, is this reflecting Christ? When I'm speaking the words, am I saying to myself, is this reflecting Christ? He's the one that shapes all my mind and all of what I say. When we look at the motives of our lives, there's, there's basically three motive tendencies that we have that really sort of drive what we do. And, and, and they're very simple. One is, 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 um, is, self, is, is self-preservation. It's the idea of protecting myself. That, that my motivation is, is I, I'm looking after me. I'm watching after me. I want to make sure I'm taken care of. I want to make sure I'm going to be okay. Another one is self-advancement. Where it's about, I, I, I want to be number one. I want to get out front. I want to, I want to position myself to where I'm noticed, where I'm seen. That, that I, want, I want to be out front. I want to be the best. Another motivation tendency is, is self-indulgence. I want what I want when I want it, and I want it now. The idea of pleasure and the desire for pleasure and the desire for more. And when you look at this, when you look at the idea of self-preservation and self-advancement and self-indulgent, these are the very things that all of our media wraps its messages and its images around. 
You just take a look. You, you watch television and you, and you listen on the radio and you look at the internet and you see all the images of our culture. It will shape around three particular ideas. How is this going to help me protect myself, take care of myself? How is this going to get me out number one? How is this going to advance me? Or how is this going to make me feel good? Man, there's all the images of our culture. But all of those motivation tendencies that we tend to have have to come under one single motivation. And that is the reflection of Jesus Christ. And that these motives that drive my life, letting Christ take them, reshape them, do away with them, put, put, put new ones into me. Look, there's nothing wrong with taking care of myself. There's nothing wrong with making sure we're going to be okay, but not at the expense of living in this phobic bubble of fear and worry and anxiety and pushing people away because of this phobia that tends to drive us. That something bad might happen. That's an unhealthy fear that's not going to bring productive life. There's nothing wrong with getting ahead. There's nothing wrong with being number one. There's nothing wrong with being out front. But not at the expense of a broken home. Or an empty bank account. Or lost children. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. God made us to feel and enjoy pleasure. There's nothing wrong with it, but not at the expense of purity, not at the expense of morality, not at the expense of health, not at the expense of addictive behavior, not at the expense of unwanted pregnancies, not at the expense of of, of expressing or sharing sexual transmitted diseases, not at the expense of unhealthy bodies. No. So no one motivation. That is to grow up in him to reflect who Christ is. It's interesting. When Paul. Uh, in the opening verses we read, he said, all of this is for the purpose of reaching maturity of attaining. It's interesting that imagery of reaching that imagery he uses there is of an oriental uh, a ritual. That was done that when a king was coming down the road, approaching a city, that that city would send out a welcoming party that represented that city. And they would run out and greet the king before he ever got to the city. And this welcoming party was saying, King, we receive you. We welcome you. We want your order in our city. And we're coming to tell you. We're coming and reaching to you before you ever get to us, letting you know we want your way, your order in our city. And we're talking about this one motive. We're talking about Christ. We're talking about running to him as he comes to us, running to him and saying, we want your order. We want your way. We want your mind to be our mind. We want your speech to be our speech. We want your motive to be our motive. We're greeting you before you ever really get to where we are. We're letting you know way out here. Because here's the deal. Maturity is an ongoing process. Is anybody in here fully mature? If you raise your hand, we will throw you out. No, man, we're all still reaching for it. We're all still running to the king. We're all still saying, here we are. Paul, again, in Philippians, he gets this. He gets this idea of still moving towards the maturity Christ has for us. Again, in Philippians He writes this in verses 12 through 15 of chapter 3. I share this as the band comes up, please. Look what it says on the screens here. 
I press on toward the goal process. Oh, excuse me, back up to verse 12. Excuse me. Not that I've already obtained all this. I've already been made perfect. That word perfect, it means mature. It doesn't mean flawless. It means complete. It's the idea of what we've been talking about. Perfect. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I haven't arrived. See, immature folks think they've arrived. Mature folks know very much they're not there. But one thing I do say the one thing. Say it loud. The one thing. One thing I do. Forgetting what is behind. Now, it doesn't mean act like nothing happened back there. Good or bad. That I learn from the immature of my past, but I also learn from the mature of my past. The good and the bad. I don't live back here. I learn from it. And I move forward. Look what he says. I press on. Forgetting what is behind, straining to what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God's called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What's the heavenward in Christ Jesus? That's the new order. That's the new order, the kingdom order, the Christ order that we're called to. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. Listen, we are maturity in the making. Don't quit. I don't care how messed up you've made it. I I don't care how well you've done it. There's more. There's more that needs to be done. And the beauty of it is, Paul's saying we do it together. We do it together. It isn't an individual sport. He closes this section in verse 16 of chapter 4. He says, from him, talking about Jesus, the one we're running to, the one we're reaching to. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows, matures, builds itself up in love. How? As each part does its work. We are in this thing together. We need one another to reach the full maturity. We need one another to get to where Christ is going. We're all running to him on the road as he comes to the city. We're maturity in the making, a mature mind, mouth, and motive. My dad tells a story of an Indian monk by the name of Sadhu Singh. And Sadhu Singh was traveling in the Himalaya mountains to get up to a, a monastery in the mountains. And a guide was taking him and As they were on their way, a snowstorm settled in, in the mountains. It was almost like blizzard-like conditions, very difficult travel on foot. And they came to this particular area where there was this chasm. And as they were crossing through, they heard someone groaning and moaning and yelling for help in the chasm. They had fallen in. Sadhu Singh said to his guide, we need to go down and help him. And the guide said, no, Sadhu Singh said, God's brought that man here. God will have to take care of him. Said, if we go down there, we're, we're going to die. We've got to get to where we're going. We're going to die out here. And Sadhu Singh said, look, you go ahead. We'll catch up. But I believe God has brought me here to help this man. So the guide went on ahead and Sadhu Singh climbed down into the cavern. And, and he found the man. The man had fallen in and broken his leg. And, and Sadhu Singh was able to make a makeshift splint and got the man up on his feet. And somehow they were able to tie each other together in a way that they could walk together without the man putting weight on his bad leg. 
And the whole way, man, they just kept stumbling together and, and every step was painful. Every step was groaning. Every step was difficult. But man, they just kept moving forward, kept moving forward. Didn't think they were going to make it. And finally, they topped the hill and man, they saw the lights of the monastery in the distance. Boy, they picked up their pace and trying to get there. And as they did, they tripped over something in the snow. When they were to gather themselves and they looked down, it was the guide that had gone on his own. He had frozen to death by himself. Sadhu Singh and the injured man got up, made their way to the monastery. You see, what saved their life was this. All that exertion, all that effort, all that energy they were giving forth upped their body heat to where they didn't freeze to death. It literally saved their lives. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. Being a part of a local body that is gathered together for the sole purpose of for one another to move forward to all that Christ would have for them. I'm telling you, it will save your life. I want to do something. And I ran this past your campus pastor and he said it was a good idea. So if you don't like it, talk to him. By the way, that's a very immature thing I just said and did. But I'm maturity in the making. I'm still straining. I'm going to forget about what I just said and I'm going to move forward. This may be awkward for some of us in the room. And it's okay if it is. And if you don't want to participate, you don't have to. It's not going to reflect on anything of your spirituality. Nobody's going to judge you. But here's what I'd like to do. I would like, in just a moment, for us to just to find one other person. You may know him, you may not know him. And simply do this. Introduce yourself. Say how long you've been a part of the Canton campus here. And say, would you pray with me about this? Just one simple thing. Don't give your life history. We're not looking for the fact that you were born at an early age. And at the age of one, you whatever. We're looking at what's something happening right now in your life. Very simple. For instance, I could come up to you and say, hello, my name's Mark Walker. I've been a part of the Canton campus since it's opened in January. And pray for my demented mind or something of that nature. And that's it. Now, you may not feel comfortable praying for somebody. Maybe you've never prayed for somebody. All you have to do, if somebody came up to you and just said what I said to you, all you have to do is this. Take their hands and say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for Mark Walker. I pray you heal his demented mind. Amen. That's it. That's all you got to do. And if you would pray for my demented mind, I would greatly appreciate it. That's it. If you don't want to participate in that, that's okay. But the count of three, because let me tell you something. The power of God rests out there in you. If you're a follower of Christ, as much as it rests anywhere, we get more stories about what happens to people in their seats than what happens, what happens up here. We're in this thing together. So at the count of three, stand up, find one or two other people, simply share with them quickly and then pray for one another. And then we'll close out in a general prayer. You ready? One, two, three, go.